Good morning, everyone. Hey, it's a gift to worship with you all. For those of you who are new to our congregation, uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And if this is your first time here, I know there's lots of folks out of town, lots of folks in town. Uh, We are just so grateful uh, to have you with us. And I'm joined again by Rosie, my wife. So give it up for Rosie as she's up here. We'll be downstairs at the end of our service, and we'd love to connect with you before you head out of this building. And for those of you watching on newlife.nyc, on YouTube, on Facebook, a gift to have you worship with us. Uh, Last week, Rosie and I were up here uh, talking about uh, what it means to hand down faith to the next generation. And today, we're actually continuing our series on God and our bodies with a particular focus on marriage. And so today, we're going to focus on uh, marriage next week. We're going to hear a message on uh, singleness, and we want to hold those two things together. Uh, And we also recognize that as we're talking about marriage today, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's a day when we recognize and remember the coming of the Holy Spirit. And if there's one area in our lives where the church needs a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, it's on our marriages. Uh, It's in our families, and I believe that God wants to pour out some wonderful uh, things on our lives uh, together And so to give a message on, on marriage is to recognize a few things, namely that there are no two marriages that are the same, that we all get, uh, lots of folks get married at different points in their lives, some in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, even 70s at New Life. I've been here for uh, 15 years and I've seen almost every decade uh, uh, someone getting married. We all are at different places on our journey And yet there's some universal truths that we're going to look at out of the scriptures today, particularly out of Ephesians chapter 5. It'll be impossible for Rosie and I in 30 minutes to cover everything as it relates to uh, marriage, but we want to give a theological foundation and really speak out of our own lives together as to what it means to have our lives reflect something beautiful that we see in this passage of Scripture today. And so if you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 5. Yes, we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our church congregation and the marriages represented here. We pray right now that during our time together that you would open our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear what you have for us today. And we pray that you would bless us Mm. during our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Rosie and I have been married for over 17 years. In January, we had our 17th anniversary, which means, amen. That basically means that we're just getting started, that we're babies, that we're just getting started here. Uh, Rosie and I met in 2003. 2003, I had just finished college. I spent the summer in Florida. My parents had moved there. A couple of years prior, and I was deciding whether to go to San Diego to help some friends start a church or come back up to New York to go to seminary. And so I decided to go to seminary, finish my studies, and a couple of weeks after returning to New York, 
uh, my cousin Sabrina invited me to her church, a church called the Brooklyn Tabernacle that she attended. It just so happened Rosie attended that church as well, and uh, I did not know this, but my cousin Sabrina was actually trying to connect us. She just thought that we would go nice together, and so she invites me to church. We're sitting in the balcony. Rosie's in the choir, and she's in the front row, and I, before the service starts, Sabrina says, hey, what do you think about that girl in the front row? And so I go, her? And I was, I was like, mmm. It was just like, yeah. I was like, I, so I was like, do you know her? She said, yeah. I said, well, introduce her so after the service. And so Rosie and Sabrina were not really that cool. I mean, they knew each other. And then we tracked Rosie down after the service. And Sabrina said, hey, do you want to come to lunch with us? And Rosie's like, like we don't, we're not really that cool, you know? And then <laughs> Rosie responded with, but I don't have any money. And Sabrina said, we'll pay for you. We pay for you. And, and you said... I'm a broke college student, so yes, I will take that meal. <laughs> and something is going to be like me, Rosie, maybe one other, two, or, you know, two other people. Rosie said, well, my sister has to come, yeah. and my sister's boyfriend has to I come. I needed reinforcements. So and, I was like, sister, so, come help me And so me I was here. mad, because I, I just wanted to get... But anyway, but uh, after we connected... <laughs> For that lunch, I just felt God saying, it's time for you to leave your church in Manhattan and go to this church in Brooklyn. I just felt the spirit moving. And so, and so um, I just felt it deep in my soul. I said, Lord, I hear you, Lord. Uh, and so I went to the pastor. I was attending a church in Spanish Harlem at the time. And I said, Pastor, God is speaking. And when God speaks, I just have to move. And so, uh, and God's calling me to go to this church. And so, uh, I would attend this church, and for the first few weeks before we actually started officially dating, you know, she'd be in the choir, and my hands would be lifted. <laughs> Not closed, I want to tell you. I was always looking you know, up there and, and as the song was going on. And after a few weeks, we started dating. After about a, a year and seven months or mm -hmm. so, we, we got engaged. And I remember going through our premarital class that we went to with a bunch of other engaged couples. And the couple that was leading us said something uh, that was a bit depressing. They said, I just want to let you know uh, that it's going to take you at least 10 years to start learning how to be married. And I thought, how depressing is this? This is awful. I looked at Rose and said, babe, we'll do it in two years, babe. We'll do it in two years. And, and it has not been taken two years. We're, we're in year 17, and, and we're still, still starting to figure this thing out. And that's how we want to begin our time with you, to let you know that marriage is absolutely beautiful. And that Christian marriage is to reflect some remarkable truths about the world and remarkable truths about God and our relationship to God. And yet at the same time, it's a journey. It's hard work, and God invites us to this kind of discipleship to shape our very lives. Yeah, we, we come into this thought of marriage just remembering where we're all, we're coming from all different places. But I think there's some key uh, threads, so to speak, of uh, thoughts that make marriage challenging. It makes it really, really hard. And I think one of the things is that our life is constantly changing. Stuff is changing all the time. Our, the world is changing, the news is changing, our kids are changing, our bills are changing, like everything is changing, and it makes it really, really hard to kind of mm. try to do life with another person in such an intimate way, um, and so that, that presents a, a, a major, major challenge. Another reason why um, marriage can be beautiful but also challenging is that communion with someone else is really hard. You're seeing this person in the morning when they're not at their best, you're seeing them in the middle of the day. Oh, somebody said preach over here. 
You're seeing them in the evening when perhaps they're not at their best either. Perhaps they had a really, really hard day and somebody really messed with them at work and you're just, now you have to interact. Um, Another reason why marriage can be challenging is we go into marriage with a lot of expectations. I mean, we have to admit that. We come into marriage and you're like, oh, I'm going to skip through marriage, going to make my home, it's going to be a beautiful home, and he's going to just, like, write me poetry every single day, and I'm going to be so loved and cherished. It's going to be beautiful. And then we're like, hello, I'm here. Do you even see me? Like, get off your phone. So we, we come with our own expectations of what we're expecting marriage to be like. And I think also um, negotiating, and this is a big one for us, negotiating our differences can be really, really hard. Like, we are different in so many different ways, in so many ways that it's when some of it is trivial and, you know, coffee versus tea, but then there's deeper things that we encounter in our lives as we journey together, and it's how do we break through this difference? This is hard, hard stuff. And I think, finally, one other thing I want to kind of remind us of, of why marriage can be hard, is that we want what we want. You know, I want what I want. I want my house to be nice. I don't want you leaving things around. I want you to put the remote where I can find it every single day. You know, we want what we want when it comes to little things and big things. And um, that can be really hard to kind of push through when we're and Yeah, and so together. because it's hard in this way, uh, we have to recognize that. And there's a provocative quote from a theologian by the name of Stanley Harawas. And he said something, and I'm going to put something on the screen in a moment. And then I'm going to give you the fuller context of this statement. But I think he's naming something that's really important where he says that we always marry the wrong person. Did somebody say amen in the back? I, I, I don't know. Wait, wait. Before you say amen, let me give you the fuller quote, okay? Before you go amen. You're in trouble, brother. Uh, he says we always marry the wrong person and then he fleshes it out he says we never know whom we marry we just think we do or even if we first marry the right person just give it a little while and he or she will change for marriage being the enormous thing it is means that we are not the same person after we have entered it the primary problem and i would say also the invitation is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Now, in some ways, this is exaggerated speech, but I think he's getting at an important truth of our lives, that marriage is hard work, that things are changing, and yet, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, we have a wonderful opportunity to demonstrate something through our lives and demonstrate something through our love. That is to say that our marriage, in many ways, can be the loudest gospel that we preach. That as people look at our lives together, that if people look at our love, as people look at the way that we forgive and are forgiven, the way that we negotiate our differences, we can demonstrate with our lives and with our work something about the gospel. That's right. To, To live out the gospel in our marriage, it can be healing for yourself as a person in the marriage, it can be healing for those witnessing your, your married um, life together. It can be healing for your children. It can be life-giving to those around you in, in very direct and sometimes, most of the time, indirect ways. And so there's something really, really, really powerful about being married. And so if you're married, this is a really amazing place to work out your faith, where we get to trust God with this interaction with another person who, who it becomes challenging to live with. And so 
it's a wonderful place to live out the gospel, to work out your faith and help those around you do the same. Mother Teresa has something really important That's to right. say because it's very easy to love out there yeah. and she covers something important. Yeah, so take a look at this uh, really interesting and powerful quote from Mother Teresa. And so she says, it is easy to love people from far away. It is not always easy to love those close to us. It's easier to give a cup of rice to relieve hunger than to relieve the loneliness and the pain of someone unloved in our own home. Bring love into your home, for this is where our love for each other must start. We are called to love the world, to the community around us, and our first community is right there in your own home. And so it's hard to do that because you see all of them in their best moments and their worst moments and in your best moments and worst moments as well. And so to love can be hard, but imagine the beauty that can come out of loving someone in that space. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why we celebrate Pentecost today, that we need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God. And yet, as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, I want to name the reality of our congregation, the reality of those watching online, that there are many people who have all kinds of varying experiences as it relates to marriage. For some of you, you might have been married for a long time, and maybe your marriage is thriving. And maybe some of you have been married a long time and you're really functioning more like roommates. Some of you have been married and now you're separated. Married and then divorced. Uh, widowed. Uh, we've all experienced and have our church experienced various degrees of what this looks like. So for some of you, you came from a home where you did not see a healthy marriage, so everything inside of you is resisting any kind of concept of marriage whatsoever. And so with all of that before us, I want to name the reality of that. There are no easy answers here. There are tensions to manage, and yet there is a beautiful gospel vision to live into. And that's what we find in the scriptures. In the scriptures, there are many metaphors as it relates to God's relationship with humanity, and yet one of the metaphors that comes up over and over again in the scriptures is the metaphor of marriage. The Bible actually begins with a marriage with Adam and Eve. It begins with a marriage, and we begin to see the human story uh, take form and evolve out of that place. At the, at the middle of the Bible, we have the book of Song of Songs, which is a song of, of the sensual uh, relationship between uh, a married couple. And out of the Song of Songs, we begin to see God treasures uh, communion. God treasures uh, union and unity and intimacy. In the New Testament, the Bible actually begins with Jesus performing his first miracle at a wedding feast. And so his first miracle is turning water into wine at a wedding feast. He's known as the bridegroom. That's one of the titles of Jesus and the church being the bride. And at the end of the Bible, what we have is the church uh, uh, consummating its relationship to Christ in a marriage feast of the Lamb. And so as from Genesis to Revelation... One of the ongoing themes in the Bible is that God wants to marry you. That God wants to be, God is in love with you. That God wants to be in relationship with you. That God wants to set up a covenant with you. And one of the ways that we give expression to our covenant is in the way that we love 
one another. And this is what Paul is getting at now, taking a theology that's really big, and now in chapter 5, he's going to focus it on some particular areas that he wants us and the church to begin to pay attention to our spiritual lives and what it means to live out this beautiful gospel reality. That's right. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he's trying to give them a new way to look at marriage. This is after Christ has died and has ascended. How do we look at our marriages now? And so um, one of the ways is that he, he's offering this countercultural way of looking at being married to another person and what that means and, and how it is um, a beautiful way to connect with someone else. Paul is also giving a vision of mutual love, respect, honoring, and mutual submission to one another. And that is new for a lot of us even today. And even that word submission is like, you want me to what? Um, and what does that even mean? So we're going to talk a little bit about that and, and what it does and does not mean. And so there are three things that Paul is trying to help marriages um, or married couples do. And so one of the first things that Paul is really trying to help us do is to reimagine what love is. When we fall in love, love is not just how you feel. It's not just butterflies and goosebumps, and he wrote me this song, and I got a playlist, and it's so great, and he's writing me letters. Love is not just that. It's actually a lot deeper than that. Love is, um, it is a, a, a work. It is a choosing of someone. It is saying, I choose you on this day that we are getting married, and I'm going to choose you every day thereafter. And what a beautiful picture that is of Christ choosing us. God is choosing, he chose us to love. And we get to work this out every day in our own marriage to choose another person so that we can work that out. And how do we reimagine what this love is? How do we work at that out? And at New Life, we offer some really, really great resources with EHS, EHR. We're, we're, we gain these tools on how to love the person well because it takes a while to learn how to love someone else well. Uh, it's hard for us to love ourselves well. So how are we going to do this? No one gave us a manual when we got married. How are we supposed to do this? So um, yes, it's, it's a powerful reimagining of love. What does love look like with hands and feet in everyday life? And um, what can we do to love each other better? The second thing that Paul offers is he's offering us a reimagining of what mutual submission is. What does it mean to mutually submit to one another? Um, for example, apologizing. I'm not great at this, but um, what a great way to just say, I messed up, I'm sorry, and just reconnect with the other person, maybe something that has severed our bond or our relationship or some sort of connection. But I also want to talk about what mutual submission is not because, um, yeah, so this can be a hard thing for people to kind of work through. One of the things that mutual submission is not, it, is, does, it does not mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that someone can walk all over you. Mutual submission does not mean someone can just ignore what you feel and what you think. It doesn't mean that you don't have a voice. Mutual submission does not mean that you don't have a voice. You do. And that's, part, that's actually part of mutual submission, having a voice, sharing your voice, and listening to the voice of others. And um, third, it doesn't mean you can't disagree with one another. We disagree all the time. <laughs> we have a lot of things that we don't agree on. But I think what makes it different, this mutual submission, is there is a wisdom that comes when it's like, you know what, this is how I feel, I feel strongly. But 
there's some wisdom in what you're saying, and I will, I will default to what you are thinking in this particular moment. Every moment is different. Every moment has to be treated in its individual way, but, mm. but there's some powerful things in this, too. Yeah, what's, uh, lots of folks get tripped up on this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, and I want you to see the order of it, because in verse 21, Paul first says, submit yourselves one to another. So everyone is called to submit to one another. And then he says, now wives, submit to your husbands. And then he switches and says, now husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do? He he submitted his entire life for the church. And so what we're invited into, this is an important word, especially in the church, and specifically for men. Because it's often very easy to, to weaponize this verse in such a way where we say, you need, the Bible says that you need to submit, which basically means it's my way or the highway. And you don't have any opinion on this, and what, but my, what I say is the final, final thing, as opposed to what does it mean to live in mutuality? What does it mean to recognize that there's some areas that Rosie's gifted in and has experience in and has a better perspective on that I need to listen to her with regard to that? And some areas where I have a better handle on a particular matter that I need to listen to her with that. And so we're talking about mutuality, a mutual submission, one to another. And this is what Paul invites us. How radical is this? In an age when Paul is writing to a church where women are seen as property, where women are seen as, that, you know, how we talk to children, you are to be seen and not heard. That's the mentality for women back in the day as well. And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 we're not talking about hierarchies anymore. We're talking about mutuality. What does it mean to love one, each, one another in this way? That's right. And what God, what Paul also, one of the third things that Paul is trying to help us see as married people is that there is a reimagining of the bigger picture, making the connection between our marriages and the gospel. And in this way, our marriages in many ways are an icon. They are a small microcosm or a small picture of what it means for God to love us. You know, we always are, Christ is always referred to as the groom and the church is referred to as the bride. And this is very intentional for God to just communicate to us what a love he has for us. This deep, he wants to go deep. He doesn't want just the shallow stuff and pretending everything is okay and the butterflies and the goosebumps on Sunday morning. No, there's a deepness that God wants. And Pentecost is a wonderful, wonderful way for us not to just invite the Holy Spirit into um, our, our room here, but into our lives so that it permeates and helps us reimagine what our lives are to be when we are married in mutual submission to one another. Mm, that's good. Um, and so what, what I want to do now is we have this grand vision that Paul mm. offers, and we just gave you a real a snapshot of this here. But I want to tease out a little bit how we've tried to live this out. What does it mean for us that we're trying to, we're endeavoring to have our lives reflect something of God's love for humanity, of Christ's love for the church? And so, Rosie and I, we're going to share just a few, what we've taught each other over the years, what we've learned from one another over the years. And as we're sharing our own lessons about what Rosie has taught me and what Rosie has learned from me in the process uh, and what I've learned from Rosie is, is these truths that we're offering are not just unique to us, but they're also universal in scope as well. You might have, if you're married, your own list of things, 
but we're also highlighting things that are important for all of us to keep in mind as we want to live in such a way like an icon, a window into another reality. So there are three things I had to take some time to think about, you know, what, what are three things that Rich has taught me about marriage through our marriage journey so far? Um, and so I think one of the first things that I truly admire and I'm still learning to do this is um, being a calm presence can be a healing force. I am not that calm presence, okay? I'm like, why isn't everybody panicking? This is crazy. You know, whatever situation I'm facing, I'm just like breathing into a paper bag and like having a, a breakdown. But Rich is able to kind of enter it enter the moment in such a calm way that is truly healing. Now, at first, it's very annoying, because I'm like, why aren't you panicking with me? Like, this is, this is a crisis. And he's like, it's okay. Let's talk about this. I'm like, no, I want to panic. Um, and that's, that's us and our flawed <laughs> selves. But I, I have learned so, so much on, um, on, on being a calm presence and how his calm presence is, helps me to refocus and realign my mind and my thoughts into whom I'm relying on, and that is the Lord. And so his calm presence has taught me so much in that area. Um, a second thing that I've learned through our marriage journey um, is that quick repentance is the key to a long, wonderful marriage. Again, not great at this, um, but I think his ability to... I'm, and I'm sure many times I'm in the wrong and he is able to figure out, you know what? There is an area in which I probably should have handled something different. So he'll come and he'll apologize about that one particular, I could be completely wrong, like I am wrong, but he will find a way and, and lead the way in repentance and apology and saying, this is where I messed up. This is where I'm, I'm taking responsibility for my own actions and I'm sorry. And for me, that has helped me to see Okay, now I gotta apologize too because I really did mess this up. Jesus help me. And I'm able to apologize. And so I've learned so much through that and really, really appreciate how God has used you Amen. in that area. <laughs> he loves this. He loves it. He's like, stop. Is there more, honey? <laughs> the third thing in that same light is um, the importance of laughing at oneself. I am. I was never good at laughing at myself, especially growing up. I was really like, no, I got to be respected, and I got to be whatever, and whatever it is my mind was thinking. But there is such joy to be found in a marriage when you're able to kind of look down on your marriage and be like, we're a hot mess, and it's hilarious. Like, this is funny. We're not, we're not perfect. We don't do things perfectly. We're not, we don't do everything right, but... But we're journeying in this together, and we get to find the humor in this and what God is trying to teach us. And, and being able to, to kind of humbly just laugh at ourselves has been such a gift to bring such joy, not only to our marriage, but also our family as a whole. So that's been great. And this one's really deep. Um, I've, in terms of something I'm continuing to learn, um, I have learned that I need to adjust my own expectations about Rich leaving his socks all over our bedroom. <laughs> Drives me nuts. It's been 17 years. Hamper. Put hamper. That's been really difficult for me, and I'm learning to have grace with the socks. socks. Is it my turn, honey? It's your turn, babe. <laughs> 
Number one, um, <laughs> I have learned a lot from Rosie over these last 17 years, and one of the lessons that I, if I can distill it in this way, um, is that we cannot correct what we will not confront. Rosie's taught me that over the years. Uh, Rosie has an ability to ha have hard conversations, and there's lots inside of me that does not want to have hard conversations. I don't want to take a deep dive in looking into our finances. I don't want to take a deep dive into talking about areas that maybe we're, we're missing one another. I, I just want things to just fix itself. And she uh, will not let me get away with that. I think she loves me too much and loves our marriage too much to say, we are actually going to wrestle with some things uh, because we cannot correct what we will not confront. And that's a principle for all of us here that unless we're having hard conversations about the things that really matter and the things that really trigger us and the things where we're really anxious around, we're not actually going to make the kind of progress in experiencing the wholeness and the healing and becoming an icon of God's love for the church until we're able to do that. Uh, secondly, Rosie's taught me uh, the importance of, of memory making, that it's a sacred task. Uh, and this is expressed in the ways that um, we go on vacations. You know, I grew up, this is why so much of our stuff emerges out of our family of origin. And if we're not paying attention to our family of origin issues, we're going to bring that right into our marriage. At New Life, if you're new here, we like to say Jesus might live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones, which is to say we all have positive legacies that we've received yeah. from our families of origin, and we have negative legacies that we've received from our families of origin. And so growing up, I, my family went on one vacation. We did not have all the money in the world. We went on really one vacation when I was about 13 or 14 years of age. Rosie went on way more vacations than I did. And, 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 what, and so for me, making memories, whether it's a staycation or, or, or a vacation, has been an area of big difficulty for me. And we've had to negotiate a lot of things here. But her thing is, what kind of memories are we making intentionally around our family? That's been really an important area of growth for me. And thirdly, uh, she, she's taught me in her own life and her own character and, and how, honey, you have uh, demonstrated this to me, is that, that my voice must be heard and my values need to be named. Um, Rosie has no problem. If you're an Enneagram person, she's an eight on the Enneagram. She has no problem telling me what she thinks and how she feels about a particular matter. And she has pulled that out of me as well to say, you have something to say about this. And what do you, you have to name your values here. And so we all bring into this marriage this idea of our values and, and what it means to be united and what it means to be separate. You know, the, the, the running kind of preacher joke is when the preacher says, and the two at, at, the, at the wedding, and the two shall become one, the question is, which one? <laughs> because we can be so united in a way where our differences are no longer discernible, where it's just like one voice. And she's helped me. We've had to learn how to become one, and we've had to learn how to separate so that we can truly become one. Yeah. As opposed to a false unity where I don't get to say what I feel about something. I don't get to be heard about a particular issue. And so that's been something that I've had to learn. And, and one thing that I continue to learn, and this is, I think, an important lesson for all of us, but in particular, I, I do think, and I'm going to paint with a, a, a generalized broad brush here, I think is an important message for men. Um, I've had to learn that learning to make love takes a lifetime. 
And this is what I mean by that. Ten years ago, I met with a man, a pastor in his 70s. And as we're talking about all bunch of things, he starts talking about his marriage. And he says to me, you know, my wife and I have been married, he was saying, 40, 50 years or so. And we are, our lovemaking is the best it's ever been. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and then he said to me, it takes a lifetime to learn how to make love. And I thought about that a lot because in our culture, it's very easy to think that lovemaking begins when you take your clothes off at night as opposed to true lovemaking begins when you put your clothes on in the morning. Lovemaking happens when you make a cup of tea. Lovemaking happens when you're having to have conversations about the budget. Lovemaking happens when you take the time to, uh, to do something that she wasn't expecting or I wasn't expecting. Lovemaking happens outside of the bedroom. And until we can learn how to make love outside of the bedroom, it's going to be really difficult for us to truly make love inside of the bedroom. And so lovemaking takes a long time for us to get because you're at our most vulnerable in that space. And it takes a long time for us to get to a place where, we're, where we are whole in that aspect of our relationship. And so as we think about what does this mean for us, We've shared just a little bit of our own journey, but what does this mean for us? There's one word, really, that we want to emphasize as we close this message, a word that we think, if you're married, if you're desiring to get married, there's a word that we want to come back to and, and emphasize for the sake of us being icons of God's love for the church. As followers of Christ, if we've decided to marry someone um, and be in a marriage relationship with someone, your marriage is to be a primary ambition. If, I'm going to say that again and rephrase it, if you are married, your primary ambition is to be married. Your marriage is to be your primary ambition. Not your work, not your career, not your own climbing the ladder ambitions. Your marriage is not even your children. Your marriage is. Because out of your marriage is where everything else will flow. This does not mean you're neglecting your job, you're neglecting your children, you're neglecting... No, your primary ambition, your primary goal is where am I giving my energies to? Where are my thoughts going to? Am I coming back? How, how am I... What, is, what has been on my mind primarily? And so, well, what does it require to live into that? How can I make marriage my primary ambition in today's day and age? And I think that there are three questions that we need to wrestle with on a regular basis to help us to keep that in mind. And I think the first one is, if marriage is my primary ambition, is it getting my best energy? You know, when I think about this question and all the ways that I failed over the years, I think about all that I bring to our church as your pastor and the ways that I have not brought that same energy to my home. When I'm in this building here with our staff team, I am casting vision. I am saying we can do this and we can go there and, and, and let's meet about this and there's lots of energy. 
And then when I get home, Rosie is going, can you bring some of that vision to this house as well? Can you bring some of that energy to this house? Because I know what it's like to get home, be tired. And by the way, everybody's tired, okay? I know what it's like to get home and be tired and go, ah, she'll take care of that. Oh, she'll take a vacation. She'll take care of the vacation. She'll take care of balancing the budget. She'll take care of all that. And she's going, you know, we're in this together. Can you bring some of that energy that you're bringing to our church into our own home? And so that's been one of the ways for me that I've had to check my heart and check my energy levels. To what degree am I bringing my best energy that, that Rosie is not getting the leftovers and that I'm able to work diligently for the sake of our own marriage. The second question is, uh, what does marriage mean as a primary ambition? And if we could say it this way, is, am I making what's important to you important to me? Am I making what's important to you important to me? And whether we're talking about opinions perspectives, values. It's a good diagnostic question, a good question for our own personal inventory. Is what's important to you actually becoming important to me? Yeah, there have been moments where um, I may be passionate about something and, or Rich may be, and it, we're not quite meeting. I don't understand why this is so important to you. I, of course, we've come from different Backgrounds. We come from different families of origin. We've grown up in different spaces. And so how can I make what's important to you important to me? And Rich has done a really good job in, in listening really, really, really well and being patient and able to kind of get to the core of, and honestly, it starts with me. Why am I passionate about this? I need to do that internal work to say, what is my value here? Why am I reacting to this so vigorously and passionately too. Where is this coming from? So that I can go and turn to my spouse and say, this is why this is important to me. Because I value um, time together. I value this. And being able to communicate that to someone will help that other person say, oh, this is what's happening. It's not that I left my socks on the floor. It's she values the peace and the calm that a clean home can bring. So being able to recognize that for him, I think it helps us connect. We have something to connect about now. He understands the value behind the, you know, messy room. Um, and so I think in him taking that and making it important to him, I feel loved because he just heard me. I was wah, wah, wah about socks, but he heard that I value a clean home. And so what did he do? Maybe he wiped down the kitchen counters extra or, or he took some extra time to put something away. And it's, it's, a really, it's a real powerful moment between a married couple. And the third question is, which is connected to this, is am I emotionally entering into your world? Uh, when a, a few years into our marriage, I found myself stuck. I would find myself stuck emotionally whenever Rosie was angry or whenever she was sad about something. And uh, I, I did not know how to fix it. And so I remember seeing uh, a therapist. I said, I need to see a therapist because I find myself really stuck here because I, whenever she gets mad or sad about something, I go into four modes of being, four modes. My first mode is computer mode 
where I say, honey, you're mad about this? I got three options for you. You can do option A, you can do option B, you can do option C. Come on now, I, got, I, I fixed it for you. And she's like, that's not what I need at this moment. I go, okay, my second mode is minimizing mode. Like, is it that bad, babe? I, you seem like you're getting worked up here. Is it really? Are you really? This doesn't work either. Uh, the third mode is superimposing mode, where I say, if that was me, this is how I would respond to that. Or the, th- the fourth mode is get out of their mode. I'll, I'll be back in two hours, honey. I'll be, I'll, I'll be back. And, and so I found myself stuck. I, the spirit is bearing witness in the room here. I, 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 I found myself stuck one day, and I went to see a therapist. And the long and short of it was he said, Rich, the next time Rosie's angry, the next time she's sad, I want you to do one thing. And I said, I, I, I'm, I'm listening, Doc. What is it? He said, the next time she's angry, I want you to be angry with her. I said, that's not going to work, man. That's not going to work. He said, <laughs> he said, the next time she's sad, I want you to be sad with her. I said, man, I, I, I don't know. He said, if she's angry at you, this is not going to work. I just want to let you know this does not work there, <laughs> which is true. That don't work. But if she's angry about something, and that's what I've had to learn. What does it mean for me? to step out of my own shoes and to enter into her world. Isn't this what the gospel is? God entering into our world, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And unless we're learning to emotionally attune with one another, to do our best to feel what the other person is feeling, we might not understand it, we might not be able to fix it, but there's something healing about just being in that space one with another. And this, friends, gives an expression of the good news of the gospel. I want to invite our worship team to come forward, and I want to end with this here. Because we get a picture, we get an opportunity in our married lives to demonstrate that something has happened in Jesus Christ. God's covenant love for the church God's everlasting faithful love to the church and in our love for one another in our confession in our repentance in our negotiating of our differences we get to preach with our lives that Jesus Christ is alive we get to preach through our love that the gospel has come and this is why we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit we need moments where the Holy Spirit can encounter us and we need the ongoing formation of the spirit's power to do this hard work and so i recognize listen as your pastor here for 15 years i know the complexities of the marriages in our church i know the struggles i've heard the stories i know the resentment i i know it all and at the same time while i know this i know that god is at work in our community yes I know that the healing power of the Holy Spirit is available. I know that God can reconcile people who have had a hard time loving one another. That's why we gather, friends. We're not just gathering here so that we continue to be kind of sanctified roommates, existing just one with another, but that we can truly be an icon of God's love. And no, this is not a quick fix thing here, but God is active and moving and we need a fresh dose of the spirit's power to fill us and move us in this direction and so let's pray and then let's sing together opening ourselves up 
to the work of God's presence in our lives. Lord, thank you for Holy Scripture. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for all the ways, Lord, that you have loved us, forgiven us, been committed to us, your covenant love, your faithfulness. Your mercy is new every morning. For those marriages that are struggling today, Lord, would you send your spirit? For those that are just existing, would you send your spirit? For those caught up in past challenges that have not been resolved, send your spirit. Bring healing and wholeness and reconciliation, even in those circumstances that seem beyond repair. And so, because we trust in your resurrection power, we sing to you now words of praise. Come, Holy Spirit, we praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things. And everyone said, Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing together. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. Come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me come. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me. As the spirit was moving over the water, spirit come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the spirit was moving over the water, spirit come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. I'm here 
have our prayer team come to my right to your left you know researchers estimate that 41% of marriages in the United States end in divorce and that for those who get remarried that number goes up to 60% uh, in 2021 there were 689,308 divorces in 45 states that were Surveyed, And I just mentioned that, listen, I recognize this is a common phenomenon. Marriage is ending in divorce. And maybe you're feeling shame. Maybe you're feeling great hurts. We recognize this reality. And for those of you in that space, God's power is available to you. God's grace is available to you. God's compassion is available to you. And then there are those of us in this room that are married. And next week, we're going to talk about singleness. But for today, we're focusing on marriage. This is not a kind of message to, and I want to be mindful of this because I've been around the block a bit, and someone can hear this message and go and use it as a way of short-circuiting the true work that needs to get done in the marriage. And so it's very easy to go, you heard what the pastor said, you heard what, we heard what Rich and Rosie said, so we just got to move back in together tomorrow. Everything's going to be all right. This is not a quick fix thing here. This is going to take some work. But we're here as the body of Christ. We're here to serve you. We're here to equip you. We're here to direct you in the way that God wants to bring healing about in your life. And yet there is great hope. Why is there hope? 
because Jesus Christ is alive. Amen. Amen. The Spirit of God has come. Amen. And because this has happened, there is hope for us. Mike is on. There it is. And I think as I just was listening to the song and listening to Rich and listening to and just thinking about all the different places that each of us are in, single, married, separated, divorced, just in all these different places, I want to remind you of one thing. And it has to do, it has everything to do with Pentecost Sunday. Because Pentecost Sunday is the day that we remember that our Lord and Savior died on the cross and sent us this Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the grave is available to you to raise your relationship to life, to bring healing to a broken situation. That same power is available to you today, every yes, single yes, yes. day. And Amen. it is yours for the taking. Amen. So, so I invite you. I invite you, Christ invites you to welcome the Holy Spirit into whatever space it is. He is not afraid of the mess. Amen. He's not afraid of the mess. He loves the mess because he can fix it up. And he can help you find healing and wholeness even in the messiest of situations. Amen. So invite the Lord into that space. And that's my prayer for you today. One of the ways we do that is by receiving prayer. Our prayer team is here. Maybe you came into church today. And the message is like really connecting with you individually or maybe you as a couple. Feel free to come up for prayer. We want to serve you. We want to love you. We want to pray over you in the name of Jesus. Maybe you came in here and there's a situation that is not necessarily reflected in what we've talked about. And you just need prayer maybe for something else. Uh, we want to be the community of God. Serving one another. Uh, and so feel free to come up for prayer. Also want to make mention this coming Tuesday... Every other week, we've had these Zoom conversations to flesh out what we've been talking about on Sundays in a conversation online. And so feel free to sign up for that. It's going to be on Tuesday in the evening time. And so this is just another way to reinforce and to tease out one of our pastors will be leading that time. And so please feel free to join us for that. And to remind you that there's weekly journaling guides that are available to you. We want to help you to reflect in community and in solitude on your own, what is God saying to you individually as a married couple? And so we have some wonderful resources available to you. Lastly, before uh, I, I bless you all today, I imagine some of you came into church today, maybe from out of town, maybe you haven't been in church in a long time, maybe you're watching online, and you're sensing something in your soul that God's been inviting you into relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you've tried to fix up things in your own power and something is coming alive in you and saying, no, I want to trust the spirit of Jesus. I want to trust Jesus to begin to mend my life and heal my life. And if that's you, uh, you can come up for prayer. You can scan that QR code. You can come up to one of our pastors. We want to help you take your next step as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you want to get baptized, if you feel God's calling you to get baptized, maybe you've said yes to Christ, but you've never been baptized, let us serve you along those ways as well by scanning that QR code or coming up to our prayer team or to one of our pastors in the lobby. Amen? As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We want to bless you in the name of Jesus and commit your life, your marriage, your family 
And God would do what only God can do in your life. And so with your hand in your heart and a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, being icons of Christ's love for the church. May God bring healing. May God bring reconciliation. May God bring resurrection. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the saving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.